Hello and welcome to the podcast, Love, Life and Loss. This week you will hear part two of Erica's story. Listen as Erica continues to take us on her journey. Erica talks about her pregnancy with her rainbow baby and the challenges she faced. And Erica tells us all about the amazing work she has done since to help support baby loss and those affected by it. So please join us. And and that's another thing I wanted to um, just mention as well. You know, <clears throat> there's something in um, <clears throat> excuse me. There's something in um, uh, bereavement called continuing bonds, and that's how do we have a relationship with our child going forward? And like I said earlier, it's not about getting over it. So finding ways to connect with your with your baby, you know, and that could be you know lighting a candle. Or that could be writing a letter. Some parents find it helpful to write a letter to their baby or buy a nice journal. You can get lovely journals on Amazon now, can't you? And, you know, and and then, you know, have that to to write to your baby, write a little letter of how you're feeling. You know, sometimes when a wave of grief is hitting you and you kind of you feel a bit kind of disorientated or, you know, grief can be chaotic and it's not linear. So, at times like that, you can just find time to, you know, like I say, light a candle, um, buy something with your baby's name on or, you know, write a letter. And yeah, any of those things, write a little poem, maybe, you yeah. know, or just do things that help you connect. You know, it's not about moving away. It's about, oh, how do I have a relationship with my baby now? You know, how do we live alongside this? That's really nice. I mean, I, I think I do that myself, but without even thinking that's what I do. I think mm. someone, uh, me personally, I, I lost my dad when I was six years old. Oh. So I've been dealing with grief from such a young age. Yeah. It, it's not completely alien to me, if that makes sense. So yes. I, I grew up with it. So yeah, it does make sense. I grew up going to the cemetery and things like that. So Christmas, you know, Christmas Eve, I've always gone to the cemetery on Christmas Eve and the, the, the nice thing for me is my son's now buried with my dad. Yeah. So I can go and visit them both. So we still go up there Christmas Eve every year and put our Christmas tree up and put our lights up on the, on the headstone and things. And Halloween now we've got a little lantern for Zion. So me yeah. and the kids will take it up the cemetery and light him a candle. Christmas, they have their, you know, he's got his own Christmas tree decoration. So yeah. and I do... Probably I'll probably buy one every year now. Um, yes. Just so that's my little present for him. I've even got a stocking for yeah. him because yeah. to leave him out and you know. And I know sometimes people probably think I'm weird and mad, but it's, it's my thing weird. and I love it. That's a lovely thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Include them. Yeah, yeah. That's such a lovely thing to do, and it is. That's your ways of connecting and acknowledging him as well you know and like I say you know they'll always be part of our family you know so we're never going to forget and and why should we you know just to make other people feel better you know yes and 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 you do you do often feel like that don't you you Mm. make other people feel better or to feel more comfortable when it's I mean I don't know if we just make assumptions that people are feeling uncomfortable or if they actually are feeling uncomfortable but that feeling's that there, isn't it? And it's just it's, it is there. It's an awkwardness because you know, in in our country and in the Western world, we're not good at talking about death. It's such a taboo subject. Never mind baby and child death. Oh, that's a def- definite no no. So I think we have to educate people. Sometimes, you know, bereaved parents have to educate people as well. I think you know a lot of people say, oh well, you know, I don't this friend and that friend. You know, I've kind of blanked them. But sometimes. We need to, as well as bereaved parents, be proactive and say, "Look, it's okay to, you know, I do want to talk about baby Shane. It's I want. It's okay to mention his name. I like to hear his name." And then other people will be like, "Oh, right. Oh, okay. Do you see what I mean?" Rather than making, like you say, making assumptions, it's kind of like let's give them permission to to say our child's name. And because once they realise that, they're, they're, you know, I think what it is is people have, you know. They don't want to upset you. They don't want to mention it. You know what I mean? Because you might have forgotten. So therefore, you know, we don't want to remind you. 
you know, and that, but they don't know any different, do they? So we have to let them know. Is it, and, you know, that applies as well when you're going back to work. You know, a lot of parents that I've supported, you know, going back to work is a big deal, isn't it? You know, and what's my colleagues going to say? And sometimes, you know, I suggest writing an email or getting your manager to write an email saying, you know, Erica's coming back or whatever. And, um, you know, or, or you send an email saying, you know, it's okay to mention my baby's name. In, in fact, that I like that, you know, and then that really gives people permission to, you know, open up a conversation about it, doesn't it? You know, because that's what we need to do. We need to talk about bereavement and baby bereavement, but not just for the sake of it. It's just if you know someone who's had a baby or child die or anybody in, for that matter, you know, just say, gosh, I heard that your baby died or I heard so-and-so died, you know, so sorry to hear that. You know, I'm here for you. Yeah. It does make a huge difference. I remember when um, Zion passed that I was overwhelmed, actually. It was really nice. And it was in the lockdown as well, in the pandemic. So I don't know if it made people more inclined to reach out or what, because everyone could feel it a bit more, I think. But I was, yeah, I was overwhelmed at the amount of people. And I had people that I went to school with I haven't spoken for 20 years send wow. me a message to say that I'm sorry. You right. Know, really nice. It really, yes. really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You know, you should say that because a lot of parents say that to me. You know, people that I didn't expect to kind of give me support have supported me. And it sometimes it can be people that you've known for a long years and years ago or people that you've met very recently. And then people who you'd expect to um, kind of support you kind of just run away, you know, as if like, like I say, as if you've got two heads or something or, you know, it's contagious. Yeah. And it is difficult, you know, and another thing is dealing with other people's pregnancies as well, isn't it? And, you know, if other family members, are, you know, there's going to be another baby born in the family, that can be really hard. And, you know, I've spoken to parents who feel a pressure of, you know, their sister or their brother or some cousins having a baby and they've got to go around and, you know, and congratulate them and things. And again, you know, it's okay to say, actually, I'm not ready to to come and see baby yet. I'm not, I'm not quite ready, you know, yes, and yes. that's, I think it's important for the other people as well to respect that too and don't kind of force it. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I struggled a lot with that. See, mm. Especially babies close. My husband's cousin, um, girlfriend was pregnant at the same time and we were right. due, due a couple of weeks apart and all of our kids are the same age. Oh. So when, their, when their son was born, I found it really, really hard, harder than all the others because we had that connection and we, I was expecting to have, you know, my son there too. Yes, yes. I really struggled and I couldn't I couldn't go and see him when he was first born. No, no. I said, no, I can't. I sent my husband and my daughters. I sent, I sent yeah. a present, but I yeah. couldn't personally go and see him. No, no, and that's totally understandable, absolutely. And like you say, I think people need to really understand that and respect that, you know, and not kind of just, you know, bring the baby around and put it in your arms or, you know, they just need to respect that boundary. And I think that parents, you know, bereaved parents need, again, you know, I give you permission to say, no, I'm not ready, you know, and that's a very good sentence, isn't it? No, I'm not, or a phrase, you know, no, I don't feel ready. I don't feel ready to come and do that at the moment. I don't feel ready to do that when I'm ready, maybe later on, but, you know, I think that's a really gentle way of saying no, you know, if you're finding it hard to say no. And, you know, no, I've changed my mind, you know, that 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 as well is a good one, yeah. you know, because okay. you're entitled to change your mind. You're entitled to look after yourself, you know. Yeah. You know, it's, you're not going to feel like this all the time. You know, in the beginning, grief is very intense and very overwhelming. Um, and we need to just acknowledge that and, you know, just really pace ourselves. And that, like you said, like you said earlier, be patient. Mm. And it's and it, and it depends on your journey as well, what you're you're going through. So and you so you've mentioned you had a, a rainbow baby. So what was that like for you? What was your pregnancy like for you after losing baby shame? Yeah, that's a good a good thing to talk about. Actually, rainbow babies because anxious. A whole pregnancy was completely anxious and. You know, a lot of parents listening to this, if, you know, if they've had a rainbow baby or if they're thinking about having a rainbow baby, we know in the beginning that it's going to be an anxious time. And 
because we know now that our innocence has been taken away, that innocence has been taken away and, you know, that it's not a given, you know? And so, you know, it's it was an anxious time and it is an anxious time. And I think, you know, hospitals now will, you know, when uh, someone's in a subsequent pregnancy or a pregnant another two pregnancies or three pregnancies, whatever, it's not just the one after, is it? Um, will monitor you very closely and things, but you know you'll never be completely happy until that baby's born and you've got them in your arms and and learning to trust the world, you know, learning to trust that this pregnancy and baby is here to stay is huge, you know, and and that's part of grief as well, isn't it? That innocence and that trust in you know trust in the world. Never, you know, am I going to get to the other side of the road? Okay, yeah, yeah. You know? So I think that it's just acknowledging that, you know, a new pregnancy will be an anxious time. And I remember getting them to check his heart, you know, oh, you know, they say, come back in two weeks time. And I'd say, can I come back in a week's time, you know? And then when he was born, I was kind of like, can you take him away and, and, and check his heart? You know what I mean? And then when they did, you know, I was kind of like, right, okay, now I can relax. But even when, when we got him home, I can remember, you know, he'd be asleep in the cot or the chair or whatever, and we'd be poking him, you know what I mean, just to make sure that he would move. Because I think it's a very real fear when you've had a child that's died, uh, um, the the fear of losing your other children, you know, whether they're the ones that are born, you know, the ones that you have before or the ones that you have after, is kind of like there is a real fear. I remember having a dream after baby Shane died about me I was at the bottom of a road and my children my girls were um at, uh, at the top of the road and I had mud up to my neck and I was trying to get this as a dream and I was trying to get to them do you know what I mean because you know I was in this sludge and it was kind of like fear of losing them and you know it's a very it's a it's a, a real feeling yeah. Um, and it's an understandable feeling. So, yeah, another pregnancy and trusting the world and trusting that pregnancy is here to stay is um, is huge. But hospitals are normally quite good. You know, in the maternity hospitals are normally quite good with mums that are in a new pregnancy. And they will do, hopefully, you know, got neonatal nurses or midwives or whatever listening, you know, will give reassuring scans. And, you know, and it's just being, you know, yeah, just trying to trust. And and if there's anything that you're worried about, just check it out. You know, that's what I would say. It's not a wasted journey, you know. Um, and don't be think don't think that you're being a nuisance and being over the top or paranoid. You know, just go and check it out. If you've got any changes or you're worried about anything, just get down to the early pregnancy unit or A and E or just phone your midwife. That's what I would say. Absolutely, because it is. It is an anxious time, absolutely. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, it definitely is. And and if you've somebody who's you know had complications in your previous pregnancies, then you know you could potentially have complications with your you know rainbow baby. So that will just add to the anxiety. So like you said, it does, that's one thing I've definitely learned that before Zion, I always had this thing in my head like it was like a ceiling that you know only so much bad things can happen those other bad those really bad things happen to other people they exactly. don't happen to me but then yeah. when, once that has happened it's like well anything's possible now I've lost my son so anything is possible yeah and every time the girls would scream or cry my heart would just jump into my mouth and I would panic like yes what's you know, I'd have to rush to them. Yes. now if they scream loud and I've got two girls who like to scream yes <laughs> so, I still like have to just go and check and make sure that nothing's. Yes, you can't help it. It's kind of, you know, you know, it's kind of a bit of, you know, it's trauma. And, and, you know, you could even sometimes in some cases, PTSD, you know, it's kind of, because you have flashbacks, you know, did this really happen? You know, when, when you're told that, you know, not in my case, but, you know, your baby has no heartbeat and, and your baby's died or, you know, for some people, you know, when they found their babies not breathing, you know, when their babies died of SIDS, you know, those things are traumatic. And, you know, and the those you can have flashbacks about that. So, of course, you're going to worry about other that innocence is taken away. So when you hear that 
kind of scream or whatever, you know, when they fall over or whatever, you're going, you're going from naught to a hundred, aren't you? Going, ah, what's, you know, all oh, right, you know. Straight into that fight or flight mode, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's understandable though, you know, it's not, you know, it's it's not um, unnatural for you to behave like that. It, it really isn't. It's understandable. And, you know, yes, you have to try to manage our anxiety and, you know, do our breathing exercises. And there's a very good technique um, for anybody that would like to know about the five senses grounding technique where you, you can look it up online, but that can kind of bring you into the present moment. And that's where you... Um, you know, if you're in a panic or whatever, if you can think about um, thinking of five things that you can see, four things that you can hear, three things that you can touch, two things that you can smell and one thing that you can taste. And that's called the five senses grounding technique. You can see it. You can um, I can send you the PDF of it. Um, but um, but you can look that up. And that's a really good grounding technique. And sometimes it is just about just noticing oh actually I'm overthinking um and particularly you know what we were just talking about in a new pregnancy you kind of you know people jump at you you know mums can jump ahead and think oh it's all gonna you know it's all gonna end you know this baby's going to die and so it's about managing you know managing your trying to manage your anxiety and and getting some support around that as well you yeah. know yeah and there's nothing wrong with asking for support I think sometimes we feel that we we should be able to deal with these things ourselves but no one's given the tools to manage grief and losing a baby so you know it's no. for help sometimes and to see yeah that's right yeah yeah and no one's going to judge you you know reaching out for help as we know isn't it's not a sign of a weakness you know uh, it, it's it's a sign of kind of strength in a way isn't it you know I mean, you know, in what I was saying to you before we started recording, you know, the boy, the mole, the fox and the and the horse. And there's a little a lovely little um, a little moment in the animation and in the book that it, um, the boy says to the mole, what's the bravest thing you've ever said? And he says, help, you know, and that's it's just so simple, isn't it? But it's kind of, yeah, reach out for help, you know, and support and, you know, particularly in a new pregnancy you know you, you need that so you know it kind of you need all the support you can get all the reassurance you can from the hospital and all the support you can get and you know the aching arms support line we get a lot of calls there from people in you know mums and dads in new pregnancies and are worried so yeah yeah it is it can be very difficult when I when I to my youngest Marley he's my rainbow baby I felt like I I kind of went through that pregnancy a little bit like a robot, a little bit, um, just kind of just just getting through it. Give I gave myself different milestones. Mm. So each time I reached that one, I gave myself a new one, and you yeah. just got to go to the next one. Just keep going, keep going. And yes, yeah. And a lot of mums have said to me, you know, that they feel guilty because they're not enjoying the pregnancy. You know, they they feel bad for the baby because I'm not enjoying it. I'm just wondering, you know, when did I last feel feel the baby move or is everything all right? Or I'm going to the toilet, checking that I'm not bleeding. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's so mixed, isn't it? It's so mixed. But I think that's really a, a good idea to break it down into little milestones, you know, and maybe the scans that you're having, you know what I mean? Like, right, we've got, we had that scan, right? So that's all good, you know, but it is hard because, you know, false reassurances aren't helpful. You know, people saying, oh, don't worry, it won't happen again. You know, you'll be all right this time. You know, that's not helpful. And and it's not true either because, it, you know, it was all right last time maybe. And, you know, and, and then your baby died. So, yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it's just about getting that support, I think, and and not worrying about, you know, reaching out and not feeling ashamed, you know, because yeah. that support is there. Yeah. And and it and, and be proud of yourself when you do do it, because it is really hard. For me personally, it's harder for me to say to somebody, I need help, than it is for me to sit there in silence mm. and, and, and suffer in silence. So yeah. actually, do ask for help. Be proud. Be very proud because it is. Yes. Yeah. And, and don't feel judged, you know, at all. It's very, it's natural. Like I said, you know, earlier, you, your innocence has been taken away. And when you're a bereaved parent, you know, you know that it's not a given, you know, and 
you can't be sure of anything, can you, at first, you know? Yeah. 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 The world has been rocked. Yeah. And so, so you, so for 40 years, it sounds like you've had a, a, a journey. So you've had your own journey and then you've had to, you know, walk with alongside your daughters. As yeah. Well. And then having and doing the job that you do, having to support, I imagine you've probably supported so many people over yes. the years. How did you even get into that? So, you know, obviously it starts off with baby Shane, but Yeah, it starts off with baby Shane and um and then I had my rainbow boy. And then when he was about nine, I was doing a course about going back to work. And this course um was asking that we be involved with a voluntary agency. So I remember I had the SANS newsletter. And uh, I mean, this is um, in the mid 90s, actually. And I had the SANS newsletter. And I remember picking up the SANS newsletter and phoning. It had the helpline number on there. And I phoned the helpline. And I just said, oh, I'm doing this course about women going back to work, you know, after a big break. Um, uh, do you need anyone on the helpline? And they said, yeah. Um, we do actually, you know, voluntary. So I went in, had some training, and then I started out on the helpline at Sands. And it was just in the basement, 28 Portland Place in in uh, near the BBC in Oxford Circus. And there was only six staff at the time. And I, I, and I found that, you know, I really enjoyed it. I really liked, you know, I was going pulling on my own experience, but I wasn't a counsellor at that point. And I really loved it. And felt you know it was a nice feeling to have helped somebody you know I felt you know people to say oh thank you that's really helped and I remember when I was a little girl people used to say to me what do you want to do when you grow up and I used to go oh I don't know but I just want to help people you know and that's what how I started and then I got a paid job in Sands as publications officer um, and then I'd still work on the helpline voluntary and then I kind of worked my way up. And then um, I used to have every Friday off. I started doing my counselling course in 2002, 2003. And they used to let me have every Friday off to go and do my counselling course at um, the Mary Ward Centre in Holborn. And um, and I really enjoyed the counselling course. And that obviously wasn't focused on grief, but it was focused on, um, you know, general counselling. And I really enjoyed that because it kind of gave me tools. We did the um, the Petruska Clarkson model of the five therapeutic relationships. So it kind of gave me, you know, you learned psychodynamics, C CBT, humanistic, person-centered, you know, all the different models of counseling. And it was a huge achievement for me because I wasn't very academic at school at all. I didn't leave school, you know, left with a couple of O-levels or whatever, but nothing, you know, major. And, and like like I said earlier, I had my first daughter when I was 19. Um, so that was such a huge achievement. I put so much work into this course and I've, I've still got my um, my portfolio, you know, my folder of all my essays and everything. And um, so that was a, a huge achievement for me. And then at SANS, um, you know, SANS started to grow. And then I was part of the Improving Bereavement Care team where I would go out and give talks to midwives who were caring for bereaved parents. And um, meanwhile, you know, still answering the phones. And um, yeah, and it just kind of, you know, worked my way up from there. And then I was um, bereavement support manager at SAN. So I ran the helpline. I was manager of the helpline and used to work on the helpline, you know, as, as a paid worker. And then um, I worked my way up to bereavement support and awareness specialist. So I would um, go out and give talks about SANS and, uh, you know, sometimes telling my own story and helping other staff, you know, helping the fundraising team. Sometimes people would say, you know, my baby's died and tell their story. And then, but I want to do this fundraising. So I'd help the fundraising team write a supportive email back to them because you couldn't just say, sorry to hear your baby's died. Thanks for fundraising. Here's your fundraising pack. So it all had to be very sensitively done. And one of the highlights of working at Sands was helping on the storyline of EastEnders and Coronation Street. And, um, working with the writers and researchers um, when there was a storyline about Shabnam losing her, her baby. I think her baby was stillborn. And um, yeah, so that was a real highlight. And it was a real highlight for Sands as well, because 
they, you know, the writers and researchers wanted to make sure that this story, they really had a responsibility to, to, to portray the story accurately and sensitively. And, um, and it was a really big deal. And, you know, it kind of was really high on social media and everything. And we had the helplines open when the story was aired. And we got such great feedback um, about, wow, you know, that was so accurate. And, you know, because I'd write with the researchers, no, she wouldn't say that. No, they wouldn't use that language. And you know what I mean? And it was all working alongside Rakith Akra, who 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 played um, Shabnam. And um, yeah, so that was, yeah, that was really uh, amazing because although it wasn't, you know, it was fiction, it was still... You know, it's so important because so many people watch these centers and the soaps. And we helped with, um, I helped with um, Coronation Street, and uh, there, there was a storyline and called the Midwife and Emmerdale. So that was, so my role was so, it opened out so much, you know. Um, and it was anything to do with bereavement, you know, anything to do with bereavement. So I'm just really passionate about bereavement. And, and that's how I kind of, yeah, that was my story of how I got into it. And, I have to credit baby Shane, you know, because if he didn't exist, then, you know, and it's far, it's hard to say that really, <clears throat> you know, if he didn't exist, then I wouldn't, in my life wouldn't have taken this path, but obviously I'd much rather have him and not, you know, not have heard of Sands, you know, cause I hadn't heard of Sands, but that's the way it went. And, you know, like I say, I have to credit him, you know, bless him you know my brave boy I call him my brave boy because he was so brave having that heart surgery and you know even though he didn't sort of have a choice you know what I mean he was he was brave and I've certainly met some amazing people through Sands and through my work and you know when I was with Sands I was you know fortunate to be able to present in different countries um, at the Stillbirth Alliance Conference, you know, it took me to Antigua and South Africa and Norway, and we were presenting, um, you know, on improving care and and you know, teaching midwives in in South Africa and Antigua about you know bereavement sensitive bereavement care, and um, you know, introducing memory boxes to them. You know that that's what we developed while I was at Sands. We introduced memory boxes. I got and... I got one of those memory boxes, and I tell you that was so important, so important for me. I still got it. It sits there in my bedroom with everything in there. Yeah, it's amazing. And you know, we developed the guidelines for Nice. You know, we were part of that, and I was part of the consultation group for the support booklets at Sands as well. But um, the guidelines for the nice guidelines, you know, is actually written now that when a, when a, parents have a baby that dies, that they are sensitively, you know, offered. Would you like to see your baby? Would you like to hold your baby? And that is an actual, you know, process because years ago, that's the other thing as well. You know, in 1979, I think Sands, no, 1978, Sands was founded uh, by um by two bereaved parents who just wanted to talk to each other, you know what I mean? Because they they felt so isolated. Um, there was no support at all. And, and, and when their babies died in those days and before, you know, in the kind of 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, um, the babies were just taken away and they were told to kind of go home and have another one, yeah. you know? And um, so there wasn't this sensitive care and, we used to have, you know, people phoning up the helpline saying, you know, I don't even know whether I had a boy or a girl and or, or or I was told, no, you don't want to see that, you know, as if they'd given. I remember one mum saying, you know, it was as if I'd given birth to a monster. You know, I was told, oh, you don't want to see that. You just go home and have another one. And then the hospital took care of the funeral. And, you know, and that was that. But now, you know, even since baby Shane um, was born and, and he died, um, and, and as I said, you know, when I was telling you my experience of baby Shane, things have changed now, you know, that there is better care. I mean, it, it kind of doesn't bring the baby back, but good sensitive care we know has a real impact on, you know, mum and dad's future mental health. You know, if they're, you know, if it's introduced, you know, 
just wondering if you'd like to, you know, have you thought about you, whether you'd like to see and hold your baby? You know, some parents find it helpful and it kind of normalizes that. And we can take footprints and just very gently, you know, and giving parents time to make those those decisions in, you know, because it's not something you've th thought about, you know. It's like when I was asked, you know, would I like to bath baby Shane? You know, I remember thinking to myself, would I like to bath him? Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. Is that what you do? Yeah. Do you know and you don't even think of certain things. Like I, I didn't even think about taking photos. No. It didn't enter my head and I was living the moment. So I definitely wasn't taking photos, but thank goodness my sister had the initiative to take photos because I'd never have a photo otherwise. Just yeah, wanted... that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah, photos. Yeah. I mean, we had some photos um, but then we took some when we brought him home because we only had the hospital photos, which weren't, you know, very kind of um, not photos you might want to share. Do you, do you know what I mean? Um, but um, but yeah, we took photos when we brought him home. So I've got photos of me holding him on the day of his funeral. And um, yeah, and he just looks asleep, you know, but uh, or he, you know, he just yeah, he just looks lovely, you know. But yeah, photos and I think, you know, creating memories is so important, you know, and some mums, you know, have said to me, you know, at first I didn't want to see my baby. Um, but then, you know, if you're given chance to to change your mind, you know what I mean? Actually, no, I will do. Because the thought of seeing a dead baby at first, you know, is can be horrifying for some people. And you're in shock, aren't you? So you don't know what to think. You don't know what you're going to think or what you think at that time. And your perspective is always changing. It's mm. always changing. I, you know, what I felt on the day was completely different to what I felt, you know, two months after. Yes. It's, it's all. It's always changing. And you don't know, like listening to you, so you took baby Shane home. I didn't even know that I had the option to take well, him home. It's, and if I did, I would have done the same like you. Yeah, well, it's funny you should say that because I spoke to somebody um, yesterday, somebody I was supporting, or somebody it, this week it was, it was somebody I've been supporting. And um, she found out that you could take the baby home. And, you know, and I was quite surprised because this is 40 years later. And, uh, and obviously it wasn't offered to us. It was something I think that his dad said, let's bring him home. And we've learned afterwards that there's no legal reason why you can't. But um, but it's, it's still not offered. You know, this this um, person that I was supporting said, you know, I didn't know you could take your baby home. I would have done that. And I think hospitals don't routinely offer that. No, it was never. Well, it wasn't ever offered to me. And I found out about a year or so later. After yeah. That I could have, that could have been an option for me, but because I would have, because my like like similar to you, my daughters could have met him, and you know had that. I I st I stayed in hospital for the extra night just so I could be with him. Yeah. Longer. Yes. But yes. I home that night and had him at home with me, with my family, and I yes, exactly. Yeah, it should be. You know, I think it's, you know, to be fair for some hospitals, they might see it as like there being a bit of red tape because you have to arrange it and you have to get this piece of paper that says you've got permission and stuff like that but um yeah I don't know why it's not routinely offered because all the other options you know do you want to see your baby and create memories and you know some have casts of their hands and feet and so many photographs and things and yet that's not kind of routinely offered and as you say you know it's not something that you think about I mean I didn't think about it but when his dad suggested it I was kind of like oh it's the most natural thing I want him home with me you know so um and it gave us time to kind of you know just helped us process it really it's not for everybody you know some parents might say no actually you know um we'll say goodbye at this point or whatever but um yeah it's um yeah, it's something that should be offered, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think the hospitals have they've come a long way, but I think there's some hospitals in particular still have still got a bit of a way to go. I yeah, think. they have. Yeah. They have, and also it depends who's on duty on that day. Yeah, it really does. You know, it depends what staff are on, how busy they are, probably, and that sort of thing. You know, and at the moment we know what the national health's like, but it shouldn't. You know. The, like I say, the care that bereavement, that bereaved parents receive 
after a baby's died, you know, we know, you know, if it's good sensitive care, then it has, you know, a better impact on their mental health going forward. Absolutely. Because like I just said, the example of long ago bereaved, you know, when they didn't have a chance to, you know, say goodbye to their baby um, in a managed way, then, um, you know, that stays with you, doesn't it? It stays with them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it definitely helps. I don't, I I mean, I was discharged from hospital with my SANS box, memory box, but that was it. That was the yeah. only support that I had, my box of leaflets. Yeah, um, this is it. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the other thing, isn't it? You know, you don't always, you know, you're leaving hospital without your baby and then you're giving these leaflets to sort of say how you're going to get over it. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, hold on a minute. Some people that, you know, I've spoken to over the years said, you know, I've still got my memory box. I've still got the leaflets. I haven't looked at them. Do you know what I mean? Because it's kind of let me just process it first. You know, I mean, those leaflets, it's good to have that information, but um, you know, now a lot of parents, they when they're ready, they would just Google it, won't they? And there's so many um, charities and the parents set up themselves. And, you know, there's lots of um, you've got for Louis who do memory boxes. And, you know, there's so many um, charities that parents have set up themselves, isn't, isn't it? In, in memory yeah. of their own baby. So I'm finding out I never realised until recently. So I started doing this podcast and now I'm building my website to do a support page and now I've really looked into it and there is there is quite a few but I didn't feel like that when I was when I lost I felt like I couldn't find any nothing stood out to me that's one of the reasons why I want to do the support page so I can put it all in one page yes yes all in one go Uh, yes yeah that's right and also you know support for other children as well you know Winston's Wish is a really good charity um who support bereaved children you know because that's another thing that comes up that parents say, you know, how do I tell my other children? And they're grieving as well. And, um, you know, and what language to use as well, you know, to to children under five, for example, you know, how do we say it? You know, how do we kind of normalise it? So that's another issue too, isn't it? You know, how do we support the rest of the family, the whole family? Yeah, I was just having this conversation yesterday, actually, one of my friends, because um, how- I, mean, I, I I was listening to another podcast and it, this is somebody who's I think they're in the 70s now but they were talking about when they were kids and they lost a sibling and oh. all they remembered was uh, you know their mum being pregnant and they're going to have this new baby in the house the nursery was decorated and already they went to the hospital and came home with no baby yeah and, but nobody ever spoke to him about it because they didn't want to upset him yes spoke to him about it so he actually kept, he actually spent years thinking his parents were liars because oh. they're missing a baby and he never got one. Oh my gosh. See, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, and it's really, but it is hard for parents, isn't it? At the same time, you know, because they're grieving and it's kind of like, gosh, how do we tell the other children? You know, and some parents, you will say, you know, that they're a star in the sky or they've gone to heaven or, like I said earlier, you know, some parents say the baby's gone to sleep, which is, you know, which isn't you know, I wouldn't advise, you know, because it might make the child scared to go to sleep and they might die. And all these other kind of words that we use. And like I said earlier, you know, lost, we lost the baby, you know, which I remember one mum telling me that, oh, we just told little Johnny that we lost the baby. And he said, right, well, let's go and find him again. You know, (laughs) so we need to, children, there's some really good books out there and um, to help parents with that. And, you know, Children don't have preconceptions about death usually, only what we put onto them. So I think it's really important that we use the right language. You know, they can understand death and dying. And I know some parents feel, oh, I don't want to burden my child with that. But you're not burdening burdening them. You're, you know, you're being honest and, you know, it's okay to cry in front of your children because, you know, I remember another mum saying to me, oh, you know, Uh, when I cry, I just tell little Johnny, I've got a headache. Well, what that teaches little Johnny is when something sad really happens, you just say, I've got a headache, you know? So it's okay to say, yeah, mummy's crying because she's missing, you know, she's missing your brother or your sister, you know, it's, um, and it's, and as a parent, it's really, really hard to do that. I remember I used to go in the shower to cry. I don't know. In the shower, the bath. So if the kids caught me, I can say I've got shampoo in my eye or something. Yes. And it was only, as time went on a little bit more and I just thought I, I I'm, I'm giving them the wrong message I want them to cry in front of me 
So yeah. I need to cry in front of them. I need yeah. to see that it's okay to be sad. Because I don't yeah. want them to hide away when they're sad, like I did. No. I want to there to be able to comfort them, to know. So they, I need to show them, practice what I preach and show them that it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to be sad. There's a brilliant book by Mo- Michael Rosen called The Sad Book. I don't know if you've seen it. It's it's and it's good for adults as well, but it's kind of talks about you know allowing yourself to be sad and how sad is a you know a real emotion and it's okay to be sad you know so um yeah there's lots of really good books out there to help parents and Winston's Wish have got really good resources and a good helpline if parents are a bit stuck you know how do I tell my five year old and you know and as children grow up don't they you know they kind of you know they know mummy had a baby in their belly and then she comes home you know without the baby and without her belly and but as they grow up they start asking you know more questions don't they and it's kind of like oh gosh how do I handle that you know so it can be tricky for parents but those you know there is help out there and really good books yeah and I think that once you start talking about it and then that awkwardness that trickiness kind of fades away and it just becomes natural and it's just it's just part of the family and what you talk about exactly that yeah I was just going to say that as well you made me remember that you know my children don't remember ever a time that I've sat them down and gone right I've got something to tell you you know mummy had a baby that you know they don't remember that they've just always known and a lot of families bereaved families will will be like that as well they've just always known that they've had a brother or a sister that died and it's not a big kind of, you know, sit down, I've got something really important and sad to tell you, you know, it's just part of their life. Like you say, it's woven into it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like with us, you know, we go to the cemetery on Christmas Eve and Halloween and anniversaries and birthdays or just because we want to, but, you know, we're going to visit their brother and their granddad. Yes, so yeah. They know that's what we're doing. My my youngest daughter, she will still, when she's, when she's only in reception, but she'll go to school and as they, you know, draw the family photos, Zion's in that family photo that yeah. she like she doesn't oh, leave lovely. him out yeah and she's you know she's only just turned five but she will I mean she spoke about him so much the teacher had to ask had to speak to my mum and ask what's going on because yes like... yeah <laughs> yeah I mean yeah because children are so innocent aren't they and it's so important that you tell that the, the school or the nursery knows because I remember um one mum telling us that uh, in one of the groups telling us that um you know that her daughter had said that her brother had died and um and when when the mum went to collect her daughter the kids came up and said oh you know she keeps saying that she's had a you know a, a brother that's died is that true you know what I mean as if she, they felt she was making it up because it was so kind of far-fetched and unusual and and the mum had to say yes that's right yeah she did have a brother called Johnny and um, yes, he, he did die, you know, so it's important to to sort of tell the class, you know, and sometimes we get calls from teachers saying, you know, I've got a child in my class whose, you know, brother or sister has died and I want to know, how, you know what I mean? I mean, one teacher phoned and said that the child was playing in the in the home corner and playing dead babies. But so matter of fact, like, this is your baby and this is my baby. Now, my baby's dead. And do you know what I mean? And they are just, I yeah, they just... But it is so. My my daughter, she does. She had first day at school. She she met someone, and, and at lunchtime, she said to her, "You know, your mummy. When one day your mummy's gonna die." <laughs> just, God, yeah, it's yeah. They're just so innocent, aren't they? And that's how it should be, really, shouldn't yeah. it? Because they shouldn't be scared, like you said. You know, they shouldn't be scared. It's not something to be scared of. You know, and sadly, it is part of our children's lives. You know, you you might. My and my children's lives and it's not part of every child's life and it's getting the balance isn't it because when you're pregnant as well you know or thinking about having a baby it's not on your radar that babies die is it it's not you don't know you know and I you know as you know supported so many mums who've said do you know I didn't even baby knew babies died I thought that was something that happened in the olden days you know what I mean people think you know Especially, you do think, especially in this day and age, you think we've got so much technology now and, you know, they should be able to, you know, help and stop these things from happening. But Yeah, that's right. And almost as if knowing about it would have softened the blow in a tiny way. Do you know what I mean? It's kind well, of like... Not in much shock, are you? No, that's right. Yeah, and you don't normally know anyone that it's happened to. So, you know, they don't tell you at school, you know, when is the right time? I don't know, to kind of, you know, is it 
kind of in schools with teenagers when they're having pastoral care that you let them know, you know what I mean? Because you have to, you don't want people scared of getting pregnant. Oh, yeah. But because it's a real big thing having a baby diet, but, you know, and a frightful thing if you think, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to get pregnant, that might happen. But it's kind of just gently having an awareness about it and and you know for baby and child death not to be such a taboo subject really I think that's the I think I think that's the way forward isn't it by us talking about it so you know you you hear people talk about on the tv you hear people talk about on the radio you read about it in books in the story in the kids story you know not all of the stories but at least one of the stories to say that you know they've, they've suffered a bereavement in that family and so it's yes. not completely alien to them if it happens to them. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't feel kind of odd, you know what I mean? And because I remember when baby Shane died, I thought I was the only one in the world. I just did. I just thought, well, you know, there's something wrong with me. You know, my baby's died. I didn't know anyone. I mean, it, okay, it was the 80s, 1983, but um, I thought I was the only one in the world. And then I found SANS and went to a SANS group and there were other mum's there and yeah like I said earlier you know it's a world that you didn't know existed you know you did and not know even if you do kind of know it exists nobody speaks about it like no. I I actually did know people that had lost a baby when I lost mine and, and they were the first people that I thought of straight away I had a neighbour a lady lived across the road and she was one of the first people off and I just remember this thinking now I know now I know and uh, because before it was always like my heart broke for them and I felt yeah. felt for them, but I never knew what it felt like until it happened. And that, that's why, that's all I could say to myself was, now I know. But yeah. and some of these people I knew well, and I knew that they had lost a baby, but I didn't know the details because no one ever spoke about it. No one no. ever talked about it, so I didn't no. know the full journey. I didn't know what they'd gone through. Didn't know their situation. I didn't know, you know, the journey of grief and all of that. I didn't yes. have any understanding of any. No. Of that. So no. it, it is so important. Really, is so important to talk about. And since I've found myself in this situation, I've personally, I felt like I have this. I keep calling it a strange obsession. I'm, I'm a strange obsession with people in this community. I'm just so drawn to everybody, and I really, really want to help people. A bit like you, I've in all I've worked in support for so many years. All, all I want to do is help people. But now that this is my niche, my avenue that I've found, yeah, yes, to go down. Sort of. Yeah, thing. I hear you. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. It's um. Yeah, it's become a a passion, you know, a a real passion to kind of, it's just what I do, you know. And I remember, you know, a few years ago thinking, right, you know, that's it. You know, I think I'll do something other than bereavement, you know. But I just sort of come back to it because it's something that I'm passionate passionate about. And it's something that I know well, you know, and I could talk talk about it, you know, forever. And um, and it's something that happens, you know, to people. And, you know, people used to say about Sands, you know, I feel I've come home. You know, the, the parents used to go, gosh, I, I found someone that under, found an organisation that understands these booklets. You know, I recognise myself in these support booklets and, and now they've got an app. And, you know, you can, yeah, it's kind of like just really having that awareness and, you know, it normalizes it in a way doesn't it it just normalizes it and you know you're not growing mad going mad you know and often grief can mimic madness I can't remember what grief experts said it but they said you know grief mimics madness it's you feel frightened it feels like fear but you're not afraid but you feel you know fearful you know it's kind of like that's how it affects you and then when people have support and realize they're not going mad it's okay that you're still feeling like that nine months later two years later nine years later you know no you're not going mad you know this is a it is a thing you know you're grieving and um yeah and that's that's normal normal reaction yeah it is it's it's a journey that's what I like to call it it's a journey because it is it is a journey it's sort of a sorry I often thought I was going mad. Um, it's only yeah. talking to people that you realise, oh, well, you you felt like that too. Well, that happened to you as well. Or, exactly. Know. Oh, I felt like that. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, God. Oh, you. Oh, thank goodness for that. Yeah. So I'm not going mad. You know, that's what it's about, isn't it? You know, and that's why groups and 
online forums and you know these your podcast and that's like you said earlier just what it's all about isn't it to kind of just yeah going right I found somewhere that understands I found the book I found the podcast or whatever yeah yeah and I think it, it does it does make a difference when you know mm. Like I said, I've 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 dealt dealt with grief from such a young age, and I've lost I've lost lots of people growing up, but there was nothing nothing felt like losing how it did when I lost Zion, and mm. I can't I couldn't I couldn't connect with everybody on around mm. regarding it. it. Only those people who were either like my sister, for example, my husband. You know, my sister was there with me when it happened. Obviously, my husband he's lost his son too. My mum, yeah. those people, but not everybody. I just knew that they can't, they couldn't understand, and I and I wish that they never ever do understand. That's oh, what I always yeah. say to people: you don't understand, and I hope you never do. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But it does make a difference when you do have somebody there. It does, yeah. And, you know, there's no name, you know, lots of parents have said this to me. There's no name for a bereaved parent. You know, when you're an, when your partner dies, you're a widow or a widower. And when your parents die, you're an orphan, you know. But uh, but when your your child dies, there's no name for that. You know what I mean? There's no common name. But actually, there is um, something that's quite close to it that we found. And it's called Villamar. And it means in the wrong order. Ah, yeah, it means in the wrong order of things. So, but I mean, you know, it's that's the closest you'll get to well that we found anyway. Um, you know, with the people I work with and things. Um, yeah, that um, it's got an it's a h on the end, but yeah, it's kind of like in the in the in the wrong order of life or something. And obviously, that it is in the wrong order, isn't it? We don't expect to you know organize a funeral or go to our child's funeral or you know have all these make decisions that we never you know do you want to bath your baby and hold your, you know we, we don't expect all that do we at all so it is in the wrong order and that's why parents feel so isolated and that's why these charities and organizations are so important and conversations like these yeah yeah it really is so I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on today and, and telling well, you're us. welcome I think we've covered loads of things oh, everything you are an inspiration you really oh, are like yeah, I can't believe you. how much you've managed to do and I'm yeah. so many people that you've helped and supported over the years oh thank you well I'm not gonna you know stop anytime soon either you know I can't see myself kind of retiring in that sense do you know what I mean I think I'll always want to to help anybody who's who's had you know who's who's had a bereavement a, a baby or child bereavement absolutely so I'm here and um yeah and if anybody ever wants to contact me then you know I've mentioned where I am and things so it's been lovely to meet you really lovely yes, to meet you, you.